Welcome back to Inside the Hive. I am Emily Jane Fox. I'm here with my co-host, Joe Hagan. Joe, we have so we're much back. to talk about. We have mm, we have a, we have a special guest, but we're going to come back to him in a little bit. First, I want to say hi. I'm, I missed you last week. Second, I want to say it does not seem real that we are at the the very, very, very last leg of this race. And third, most pressingly, I want to hear about what you've been working on because you've been working on a really incredible project that I think is going to launch us into a discussion today. So go. Well, first of all, let me ask you this. Um, is Are we in the denouement? Is that what this is technically? I think technically that's the term. Right? We're in the... Yeah. We're in the... We're, we're reaching the final stage of the arc we've been in. We're hoping it's final. We've been talking about that uh, ever since we took hold of these microphones many, many months ago. Uh, and so I've been thinking a couple of weeks ago while Trump was uh, going up to the balcony of the White House and ripping his mask off, like in his Evita Mussolini um, impersonation, I just remembered thinking... It's just never ending, the hairpin turns that we have to endure, the shock news cycle that this president has dragged us through for four years. And, you know, constantly people, when they saw that, they were like, you know, if you wrote this into a TV show, no one would believe it. We've all heard that expression. And it's, you know, in this age when we are all serialized television experts, um, you know, we've been living in a reality TV show. How how do people think it will end? I kept and I was having conversations with friends, and we would just speculate about it's gone to such mad king sort of level. Uh, maybe somebody has to save the country from the inside. Would maybe there would be a a betrayer from the inner family circle? Maybe. And my uh, personal fanny, fantasy was that Baron, you know, the kind of like. We don't really know anything about him. He's like Peter Sellers and being for, there. Speak right? for yourself. Yeah. yeah, you may know about him, but to, in my mind, he's just sort of a blank page. So I could write into him that he would somehow either by purpose or accidentally save the country I love at the that. 11th hour. I love um, it. Very tall In sun. any event, yeah. So I decided to turn this into a project. Let's talk to a lot of smart people. And I decided let's make it democratic. Writers and pol- politicians and politicos uh, – novelists, poets, you know, political scientists, you know, people who are interested, tell us what the last episode is. You know, what's your vision of how it ends? If this is all a crazy TV show we've been living in, how would you write the ending? Mm. And so we got all these amazing people, Susan Orlean, Tom Parada, Gary Steingart, Alexandra Petrie from The Post. She's really funny. The Mooch. Yes, The Mooch has entered his own final episode description. What did he say? What did the mooches say? Well, let's just here. Let me give you a little sampling of it. He uh, so yeah. So the mooch says um, here. I'll read it. Let's just read it on the air. This is going to be coming out by the time our podcast appears. He writes: As the results come in on election night, it becomes clear that Vice President Biden has won in a landslide. Trump becomes overcome with fear about going to prison for multitudes of crimes. He tries to hide under the Resolute desk, but he doesn't fit. Thus, he retreats to the White House bunker, where he stays until Biden's inauguration. When Trump refuses to leave the bunker, AIDS coax him out with a Big Mac combo meal. (laughs) 
With his personal plane repossessed by his creditors, he's forced to take a Greyhound bus to Mar-a-Lago. He lives out his days tweeting furiously between rounds of golf and bingo. Now, you know, that is uh, actually a plausible um, scenario compared to some of the other ones that uh, you're going to read. Um, uh, and I'll just give you a sort of like a little taste of that. Um, uh, first of all, um, Adam McKay, director of, uh, of such classics as Anchorman and Vice, um, I've heard of him. He wrote, yeah, he wrote an entire, um, rev- it, he wrote it as if it was a review of the season finale of a multi-season TV show we've been watching. But it began like with Reagan and he does the entire kind of arc of the different series dramas we've watched along the way. And it's finally ending, but it's not ending in the way you think it is. It's in the year 2040. Mm. And uh, I Ugh. won't give away what happens, but it's like unbelievably uh it's shocking, grim, and hilarious at the same time. Uh, so, you know, we've got all these wonderful people uh, weighing in. It's sort of like a therapeutic exercise in coping with these with this time between now and the election. Because you know what? We've all been looking at polls. Nobody can really take from them any certainty whatsoever. And so, you know, this is a way for us to kind of work out our hopes and dreams and anxieties and, uh, you know, and it's really powerful. And so uh, I'm glad that you have Lee here. Uh, and by the way, my wife, uh, Samantha Hunt, who's a novelist, also um, weighed in on this and wrote oh, one of these endings. So we're br- it's, it's like bring your bring your partner to work day. Well, speaking of, of bringing your partner to work day, we're very lucky to have um, Lee Eisenberg join us today. Lee is uh, the former head writer of The Office, a little show that you may have seen. Um, he wrote and directed a movie called Good Boys about uh, 12-year-olds in an R-rated comedy, swearing a lot. He currently has a show on Apple TV Plus called Little America that if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. He is my current roommate, Lee. Welcome to Inside the Hive. I feel like you will have, I know that you will have because we've talked about this. So I, I know that you have thoughts on the drama of this era, how you would end it, what what people would say in a writer's room if you were to pitch them any of the things that have happened over the last five years. So if you were to write this as a drama, how would you end it? Hello, everyone. Well, I was talking to Emily last night, Joe. Um, there's so many crazy things that have happened in the writer's room. You you know you debate and deliberate for days and days about scenes and storylines. And the craziest thing that I know of, and I think it's actually pretty famous. I was just looking it up. The the classic One Tree Hill. Uh, there is a moment. Do you know? Do you know the One Tree Hill thing? Yes, yes, I remember it. Um, and so I was I was refreshing uh, myself on it and told Emily about it. And then I just watched the YouTube clip of it. And if you haven't seen it, you should Google it. Um, and then from Google.com, go to YouTube.com and search One Tree Hill <laughs> dog eating heart. And basically, a guy is a guy is waiting for a heart transplant, as I understand. And a guy is holding uh, a nurse is holding a heart in one of those kind of ice pack things and trips inexplicably. And then the heart falls to the ground. No one does anything. And then a dog, maybe a therapy dog that's in the in the hospital. Uh, just goes and starts eating it. And that's the moment. And so, you know, a writer's room or a writer came Fantastic. up with that. And that's bananas. 
And then I think when you, or when we look back at the, uh, you know, this, this period in history, I think a lot of those moments, you know, I think about him uh, debating whether or not to uh, wear the Superman uh, shirt and is that and that like kind of the writers room was like ah I don't know does that feel right I also was really interested in seeing him in a skin tight Superman shirt that was just would have been yeah the the horror the horror we talk about that a lot in yeah. this house the spanks the spanks that he wears and then the Superman <laughs> totally. shirt over it I think would have been really nice a um, vision a vision yeah you so, had you had an interesting idea for a bookend. Yeah, so I have two thoughts. I mean, you know, one thing I was saying to Emily is, you know, you you set things up and then you need to pay them off. And so I was thinking a lot about The Wall as a storyline that really felt like if you were watching season one or the pilot of this story, that felt like, oh, okay, this is going to be a real big thing. And then it just like, I don't know, a new right, you know, a new showrunner came in and they just kind of dropped that, they dropped that ball. Um what about Infrastructure Week? I forgot about that in our in our discussion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Infrastructure Week. I felt like Mueller felt like kind of a, maybe like that was going to be the thrust of season two with very little payoff. But, I, you know, to me, I thought a lot about bookends. And the two, the two thoughts that I had for the ending of this would be Trump somehow, and, you know, maybe he's shopping in the, the stores at uh, Trump Tower or whatever, and all of a sudden, I'm, I'm like, I want like a Kyle Chandler type to come up behind him. I would have set him up earlier. Um, some FBI investigator that, uh, that you know, Trump had shit on. And that basically Trump gets taken down in shackles down the same escalator that we started our story with. Mm-hmm. Um, that was something. And then the other thought that I had is him kind of just, he loses and he has the sniffles. And he, this is, I guess, this, you know, this is post, uh, this is, you know, whatever, February. He has the sniffles. And it just, over the course of the final episode, the, you know, the flu symptoms increase a little bit. And he has to go to the hospital, but he can't go to Walter Reed anymore because he's a private citizen. And he ends up in a public hospital and everyone around him are people that he yes. has never wanted to interact with his entire time. And he's just looking across and no one looks like him and no one's paying him mind. And he's sitting in the waiting room for five hours and then he gets put on a bed and they put in the IV and he's in a wide open thing with all the other uh, patients and that he kind of him coughing and you don't know whether or not he's going to make it that you kind of end on that. But he's he's us and he hates being us. Totally. And can the doctor be African-American? Because that would just make it uh, all the more. Um, beautiful for me <laughs> in that moment. Well, I mean, I I was thinking about this. Uh, now I've thought about it a lot because I've seen what other people are saying. And I mean, I'm telling you, some of these people got really wild with it. It's like some are very fanciful. For instance, one is from the point of view of all the mice living in the White House and how fat they've gotten with no <laughs> pets around. Um, and that was from somebody who, like a comedy writer. So um, and there are some where the coronavirus comes back and takes them at the witching hour, you know. And, right. Um, but I always was th- – what I thought would be um, – and you can check me on this. If I was saying this in the writer's room, you'd be like, tell me the reasons why this wouldn't be good. But I just like – it's a weird idea, which is, you know, you w- sometimes you want to end on some kind of ambivalent note. Um, if 
he was betrayed from the inside by another Trump, right? Yeah. And that Trump became almost a heroic figure uh, as a result of having saved the nation from his or her father. Then the name Trump suddenly is not going down in history as like, uh, you know, the worst possible thing you could say. There would be a hero Trump and an anti-hero Trump. <laughs> and and I like that. The reason I liked the Baron thing is I was like, he's 16. Isn't that right? Around yeah. 16 or something. He becomes the once in future Trump political heir, you know, not, not Junior or Ivanka and everything. And he's seen as like a hero to liberals, which would be like completely, um, you know, uh, a taboo. That, that feels like the Game of Thrones uh, ending, totally. ending of this era, uh, which is great. Yeah. I think then I would just say Baron would would have needed to be uh, seated a little bit better early on. And that yeah, there maybe could been have seated. been one or two slights that, you know, you have to watch. It's kind of the second viewing that you're like, oh, I see why Baron was pissed. I see why he poisoned well, his father. Okay, well, I have that, which is that Melania has been so long-suffering and abused in her own way. Now we don't think of her that way. We just think of her as kind of reptilian and he gave her a building or something and she's, you know, uh, she's fine with the marriage or whatever. But Truth. But, but, but Baron is probably much closer to her than, than the father, right? You don't think of him as... That seems, um, that seems fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that he would, his loyalties would be to, to Melania, right? And maybe... What you find out is that the reason he betrays his father has nothing to do with politics and it has everything to do with some private kind of um, peccadillo that we're not even aware of, that he's just disgusted with some tick that his dad says like, or something he like says Like his bedroom to always smells like fried chicken, like the whole – all of his clothes smell like fried chicken. He's a vegetarian. Totally. <laughs> totally. It and all just sees, comes down to veganism. Totally. And he sees uh, he sees Trump's – but he's, and then at that moment, he sees Trump's phone sitting there and an email from his accountant or something, and he just forwards it to, like, you know, the Washington Post. So I, I'm just making this all up as we all are. But um, let's pan back for a second and ask ourselves, you know, one of the things that made me nervous about doing this was, um, well, we don't want to predict Trump's decline if he wins, right? We're all going to feel really um, – crushed, even further crushed, if we've written an entire scene of his demise and he doesn't actually go down. And by the way, some of the people we asked to respond to this, you know, obviously foresee dark tidings ahead and he continues to rule through any means necessary. And you know how he's always saying 12 more years or even further. Some people envisioned that, extrapolating out the Trump, you know, rule going on and on. But um, how are you feeling, the two of you, right now, It's we're recording on Thursday before this election, about the reality, the prospect of what may actually happen? I would say I remain terrified. And I also, every time that there's an election or uh, a monumental decision in terms of, a, you know, a Supreme Court nominee, I just keep reminding myself that the people that I speak to and the way that my Twitter looks does not resemble the way that everyone else's Twitter looks and that there's someone else that, you know, there's the opposite of me somewhere and that their Twitter looks <laughs> the complete opposite and yeah. that their polls look the complete opposite. So I don't think I will feel comfortable uh, 
until well, hopefully maybe midnight on election night. I mean, could well, be, yeah. and, it, and it could be much longer. Yeah, than that. we we're gonna let you get back to your actual writers' room in a second. But I have one last favor to ask you. Lee came up with what I think is a good product idea for Twitter that I just would like you to pitch mm. before yeah, let's hear we, we send you now that Twitter's in the news, man. Totally. This maybe makes no sense because I've I basically. I got on Twitter, I think, like four months ago and just had Emily sign me up for anyone that she thought I would like. Um, and I I don't know that I've ever posted anything. Is that, do you tweet? I You tweet, you don't post? Like, I this is a real struggle for me. Um, so everyone who's listening is, is going to shut this off right now. I thought, is there a button that you could push on your Twitter that basically would be like inverse Twitter? And so with one kind of swipe, you would see what whatever the algorithm is that gives you kind of your feed, what if the algorithm gave you the opposite of your feed? Mm. And so that you could yeah. see that you're, you, you would just see how someone else whose political views are diametrically opposed to yours, what their, what their uh, feed is. And, and, and perhaps the last episodes that they would be writing would be markedly different from some of the last episodes that uh, some I of our- I suspect they would be different. Contributors. Yeah, well, that's, you know, I have to say that I've done a version of that where uh, occasionally I'll write something, it will get hooked into some kind of right wing uh, Twitter sphere, and all these trolls will come attacking you. And trolls are just like people with like four followers, and they seem to be just like, they have a, you know, pick picture of Trump on their thing. They're, for whatever reason, they're either real people or bots that have just sort of swarmed onto you and they're, you know, saying terrible things to you and, you know, uh, making you feel um, uh, under duress. And, and that's what they're trying to trigger you, right? And I go through sometimes and I take all those and I throw them into a, uh, a kind of a, not a folder on Twitter. You can create lists of people. And when you go into that list, you only see those people's tweets. And so I create something. Remember in Ghostbusters when they would throw the ghosts into the little chamber in the basement of their building? The containment unit, it was called. So I have a Twitter containment unit, and I throw all the trolls into it. And occasionally I'll go in there, and it's really like a horror escape. You know? You go in there. It's like Halloween, you know, the Halloween house. Oh, God. You go. Yeah. So if you ever wanted to go check out my containment unit, you can just go right in there. We'll send you right there. I appreciate that. All right. Go on your merry way. Thank you for stopping by. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Lee. Great to have you, man. Yeah. Bye. This is Inside the Hive. Hi. It's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Well, that was fun. It's always nice to have uh, a guest and to also hear someone who you hear all day, every day, talking to somebody else, particularly yeah. in quarantine, because your world just gets so small. Um, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot is every day I keep saying 
seeing the days to election day tick down. And I think as we speak, it's five days to election day. And I have this feeling that like, I've been having really vivid dreams recently, like extremely vivid dreams. And I'm terrified that I'm going to wake up and it's going to be like 72 days until the election. It's my great fear right now because we are so close. We are so in it. Yes, it feels like an eternity <laughs> left, but I, it almost doesn't feel real. We have been thinking about this exact day for the last four years. Yeah, We've been planning for it. We've been hoping for it. And it just feels like such a terrifying prospect. And also, at the same time, an amazing prospect. I'm, I'm really looking forward to to the day, and I don't think it will be next Tuesday, but I'm looking forward to the day where this is settled, where... Oh, God, me too. <laughs> I mean, obviously you want a certain outcome and everyone wants a certain outcome. Whether or not yeah. that outcome comes true, I'm very much looking forward to this not being a debate anymore. I think that that so much has felt in flux, that this country has felt so divided, and I don't think that any of that will be solved, or much of that will be solved after the election, but I think that we'll be able to sort of just like accept the reality at some point and say, this is where we are right now on both sides. And let's just sort of live and not have to worry about what's going to happen in November of 2020 anymore. And that's going to be a relief either way. Oh my God. Well, definitely going to be a relief. And it's been, in fact, I feel like I've built it up to the point where you know, in my mind, it's going to be like a um, global orgy after the election is over, that level of ecstatic bliss just being out from under this. You know, and you talk about us waiting for this. I mean, time seems to have slowed down in a way that I think everybody is experiencing and feeling right now. You can't do anything. It's hard to concentrate. You know, everybody's up at night sweating or doom scrolling, and then you when you after you doom scroll, you feel like your brain is fried. You know, I go outside to look at reality that I know that I'm living in on a daily basis, and for whatever reason, it it all it never feels like it's in the foreground. It always feels like it's in the background, even though it's right in front of you. That's a weird experience. I mean, when people ask you how you're doing, I say, you know, I've come up with like, well, I'm 2020 fine, mm. which means horrible, but maintaining, mm. right? And uh, I just was looking on Twitter this morning, you know, Roseanne Cash, the daughter of Johnny Cash, she had this funny tweet. She said, dark money in politics, Otis Redding's death, interviews in which I sound like an idiot, the call letters of various FM stations, the last verse of Streets of Laredo. If you were concerned about any of these things at 3.30 this morning, you needn't have bothered. I had it covered. You know, like everybody is up at night. You know, you can get on Twitter at three in the morning and there are people there. (laughs) You know, it's like... This is where we're at. So uh, I do think, as you said, that and, – and Gabe Sherman, who was here, on here last week, our special correspondent, Gabe Sherman, it was delightful to have him on. We discussed this a little, and I wanted to – I was wishing you were there, so we'd discuss it with us. But, um, you know, we have been living um, in a world in which there's one story. And uh, I said this last week, but – Trump's media saturation is kind of our equivalent of living in North Korea and every room you go into and every 
time you go out on the street, there's a picture of, um, you know, Kim Jong-un, right? And you're just waiting for that to all be gone so you can think about other things, right? Write about other things if you're journalists like us. Just have your mind go into all the places that actual freedom would allow you to do, right? A freedom of the mind. To, I want to be liberated from this bullshit. I mean, there's been... It's it's a blessing and a curse for reporters, particularly reporters who cover him. I mean, I've spent the last five years pretty singularly covering Trump's orbit. I until I have a story coming out in in the December issue of Vanity Fair that is totally apolitical, and until that, I don't, I can't think of a time in the last four years that I have written something that wasn't in some way tangential to Trump. And it's been really good to me. I've had a wealth of things to write about. I've enjoyed it so much. I wrote a book about it. I write so much for The Hive about it. I talk about it here on The Hive. And so it's a, if if Trump does not exist, then our lives as reporters who cover him significantly change. And I don't think that anyone sort of even understands what that could look like because it's been so consuming and also like, the pace of our jobs just will change so much for for like four years until this year and uh, pre-pandemic, I mean. Um, I hadn't taken a vacation. And yeah. it was because I just felt like there was so much happening. There was so much news. There was a ton of pressure to sort of stay on top or ahead if you were lucky. And I felt like, and this is wrong, and now in retrospect, I... I wish I could have seen the light a little bit sooner, but uh, I felt like I couldn't step off or I would get behind. And I think that so many people who are covering this the way that that we covered this felt that exact same way. So, so the, retor- the return to some sort of normalcy, I think, will be weird and welcome at the same time. But I, I worry that we're not going to get there. I think that all points, all polls... All everything, all smart people who I talk to are saying that Trump is not going to win. But until I see it happen, I know. I'm not going to believe it to be true. No. And nor should you. I mean, that's what well, part of that is the 2016 PTSD. Totally. You know, and part of that is just being realistic, um, especially given all the, you know, late breaking Supreme Court um, decisions about which, which votes can be counted in which states, right, in these important states. Um, I, you know, that by the way, there's another one of these um, last episode um, write-ups that somebody sent in, which which imagined a, that Trump loses, but creates a, an apprentice 2024 mm. in which he, you know, brings on prospective Republican candidates and, and has a contest to keep you know, the GOP in the entertainment industrial complex so that people have to pay attention to it mm. still, which is a very nightmarish thing. Like you can't even escape, right? Um, and there is a question of whether even if he loses, will we be able to escape him? I mean, he's got this, you know, huge following. What does he convert it into something that becomes like a constant thorn in our minds? Or does it actually fade away? We just don't know yet. But um we don't even know if it, he'll lose, of course, but uh, even if he does, there's no guarantee. But 
you know that throughout our conversations, we have toggled between realism and optimism, right? And uh, I, I think I'm clinging to my own optimism out of survival, really, more than anything. You mm-hmm. know, I have to believe that this is going to end so we can have, quote unquote, normal life, even though we'll still be in a pandemic. Um, and, you know, the next thread of the story could plausibly be, uh, you know, Joe Biden's candidacy versus the progressive left who want to push him in different directions and then the right complaining and bitterly attacking that and trying to drive a wedge in there. You know, you can imagine all the things. Um, but it'll be great to write about like, um, you know, let's just th- for a minute, let's just talk about you. You have a story coming out, maybe which you can't talk about. I don't know that I can. I yeah. don't. I have it... one coming out in the December issue too, and it's non-political, but it uh, and it's been very difficult to concentrate on. Oh, you know. big time. <laughs> you know, if you out there can imagine, uh, you know, having to absorb yourself in something that wasn't this election, and uh, you can imagine, it takes great willpower, and um, uh, I don't know what what else I can say. About I mean, that, it's but, it's literally uh, for me. It was the power of the deadline that that if yes, I I mean it's the only thing. It yeah. was the only thing that got me to be able to concentrate was saying I have thousands, thousands of words that I I have due to somebody who's expecting them, and if I don't yeah. tune out the election stuff for these few days, then I will be past that that deadline. Uh, and maybe it's good for you that way. I mean, maybe that it, in some ways that's. Um, a blessing. I am very deadline motivated. Yeah, I'm very deadline I mean, motivated. It, but it's also a blessing not have to not to have to pay attention to the election for broad stretches of time. Oh, a, a thousand percent. And 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 this brings me to something. I actually said this to my sister yesterday, and I truly I say this to everybody who I talk to at this point. I've said a version of this um, for a long time over the. I mean, I guess. For the last four years, I've said a version of this, but I really mean this in this particular stretch of time. You can't get riled up by every incremental bit of news in this era, particularly in this very short stretch of time by before we get a result. Because there's going to be so many little things that will feel like big things because you're very emotionally connected to the results on election day. And... All those little things you can get riled up about. Like, they're terrible. They're bad things. They're scary things. They make you question America, your fellow citizens, if you're doing the right thing in your family, if you're teaching your kids the right thing, if you're having the right conversations with your friends and your colleagues. And and they're, they all seem very scary individually. But I, I caution everybody to not get caught up on those little things because there's literally nothing we can do about them except for to vote and to, if you've already voted, I'm really glad you did. And you just have to be a little bit patient now. And I know that's so hard because tensions are high and this is so fraught and the stakes are so great. But if you let every single thing seem like nuclear war, then you're just going to be driving yourself crazy and it has no actual purpose. So channel that energy into something better. Maybe turn off cable news. Maybe don't doom scroll. Um, maybe for an hour that you would normally spend with the cable show on or, or scrolling through Twitter or 
you know, going through your Facebook feed, go for a walk and leave your phone at home. Uh, mm-hmm. Great idea. Knit because it keeps your hands busy. Um, mm-hmm. Lee and I have been watching the Great British Bake Off at night this week instead of mm-hmm. me watching our yeah. cable stuff. And Very popular in my house. It's a delight. It's delightful. You know why I like it? And and I will get back to more important things, but I this is important to me Please. personally right now. We, we're big fans of Top Chef as well. We like to cook. Lee's an incredible cook. I'm very lucky. But Top Chef, like... It's personality driven. The challenges are insane. You're really invested in who wins or who doesn't because you have your favorites. You have the people that you hate. You know nothing about the contestants on the Great British Bake Off until the last episode and you get like 90 seconds on each contestant. I have no, I don't understand who the hosts are. I There's no background on any of them. So you're not invested in any of the people. The challenges seem hard, but they're not insane. And so just watching them feels so low stress in a way that other competition shows can sort of be stressful and you're like waiting on the edge of your seat. I've never felt for a second like I was waiting on the edge of my seat in Great British Bake Off, but I am consistently delighted. So I am I am heartily recommending that people watch that or an equivalent over the next five days. Uh, just step away from all of the Michigas for a little bit because it doesn't matter. If you've already voted, you did your job. If you're going to vote on election day, look forward to that. Make your plan. Maybe the only thing I would advise doing over the next couple of days is if you know someone who's either not planning to vote or is on the fence, and there are very few people left like that in America, but they but they still exist, Spend a time and have a nuanced conversation with them. Don't sound preachy. Don't sound angry. Listen to their views. Listen to their questions and talk to them. And that that is probably the most proactive, productive thing that you can do in this final stretch. But sitting there and getting upset, angry, scared about every little headline that you see is not going to be productive. And I know that as a member of the media, um, that can sound silly because we're putting out those things, right? And so we're saying don't consume the product that we're putting out. But I'm telling you as a member of the media, you don't have to consume everything in order to be an engaged citizen. Part of being an engaged citizen is knowing what matters and what is just noise. And so I urge everyone to just chill out with the noise, focus on what matters and, and and do the big things and stop sweating the small stuff. This is Inside the Hive. You talk about doom scrolling and kind of the obsessiveness of that. Uh, I have kids who are addicted to their screens mm. as so many people are and you know, forget the kids, the adults too. And we watch this documentary, The Social Dilemma. Mm. And uh, it's all about you know, it features all these Silicon Valley creators who are now very distressed about what they created and the kind of how they've turned all of us into, you know, addicts. And that's part of their, you know, uh, business model. Yeah. Right. And politics is not immune for that. In fact, politics has become central to that. Totally. And and our own addictions to uh, mine included, I'm I'm confessing. I'm in, in the kind of Twitter AA right now. I, I am an addict. I have a problem. You know, I'm on there scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. You get in the and part of being triggered and angry is part of the dopamine hit of Twitter. 
You know, you go on there to be outraged, right? To see a clip of Donald Trump saying something asinine. And he has, you know, they're out there complaining about Twitter, right? You've got Ted Cruz and all the others oh, censoring us. Oh, are you kidding me? These people amplified you. Facebook and Twitter amplified the shit out of you for the last four years. And it made it made you capable of triggering us and gaslighting us and keeping us kind of on the edge of our seat, uh, you know, clinging to sanity, right? It's it's really, um, the, it's biting the hand that has fed him over the last right, stretch but, of time. Which, you know, he's known for doing. He'll, he'll turn on anybody if it serves him in that moment. But I do think after this election is over, there is going to be a big crash emotionally, you know, across the country in the media, in every walk of life. People are going to have finally let go of what of whatever this is we hope that we've let go of the dark part and even and if we find out that biden is president we're moving into an era we're still into a new era we're still going to be facing a moment of having you know breathing for the first time and then probably processing a lot of what has happened to us in a real way and not being living in a shock and awe weekly news cycle any longer and then having to face ourselves mm. And what, and I think that's going to be a real, um, I think there's going to be like any moment that they'll start with that ecstatic happiness, let's just say, prospectively, if Biden were to win, followed by a Great Depression, not economically, but just culturally, as we try to figure out, you know, now we have to get back to reality and actually work on this, you know? I mean, in some ways, I feel like, because of what we what they talk about in the social dilemma and what we see in real life, that people are not only addicted to their screens, but I think that they're addicted to politics. I really yeah. do. And um, like tr- like people are true junkies. It's funny. Um, p- part of my job is that I'm on air at MSNBC. And the number of people, every time I'm on, it's like from every walk of my life, I get texts from people commenting on they're happy to see it or what I said or whatever it was. And I'm like, I cannot believe all of these people are watching this exact program at the same time. And it's a testament to, you know, those shows and how relevant they are. But it's crazy to me how many different kinds of people are so engaged that at two o'clock in the afternoon, they're watching cable news every day. It's crazy. Totally. And like sometimes I'm on at two o'clock and then I'm on at 11 o'clock and then I'm on at six o'clock in the next morning. And like the same people will text me and I'm like, oh, oh, so you just watch this all the time. And that that has made me feel heartened at at times because it makes me feel like oh we have we have a a whole class of people who are just so hyper engaged and they know everything that's going on and then i i watched the social dilemma and my first feeling was like oh we're not just addicted to screens and that's very clear after watching that but we're addicted to politics too and i don't know if that switches off if trump is no longer in office. Are people, have we just become junkies? And will they, I think it will be, I mean, God willing, it will be far more boring to follow the Biden administration like that. So I think that maybe it will sort of be like a, a detox or. Well, that's what I'm saying is I the detox know. from all of this. I know, I think you're right. But, but I mean, where the, does it go then? This, if we've, if we've created the, these junkies and then we take away their stuff, well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, where where is that going to leave us? We're going to be, you're going to see a lot of people 
uh, kind of having a moment of depression and then having to kind of claw their way out of it in a real way. You know, I mean, we all think we're depressed now, but that's like a, a different kind of depression. It's like a, an addict's depression. And mm. you what know, do the, people the, used the, to pr- do? I mean, it's really weird now because I guess the people who used to watch like real stuff who who have who have left scripted content or reality content in favor of cable. It's it's interesting because you know TV and movie stuff is not really getting made right now. I mean, shows are right. now just starting to ramp up production, but there's going to be a period of time where there's sort of like a dearth of content, and it mm-hmm. could coincide with the period of time where we're also sort of weaning off of Trump, and that will be a very interesting thing. I don't know what people are going to... Maybe they'll start playing video games. Well, and you know, well, there's still a giant archive of material that has passed a lot of people by that's just sitting in the... Haven't we reached the, at some point we're going to reach the bottom of that. I feel like we have watched, we've consumed all of the content. We're like, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're like, we scraped the, the barrel now. Great British Bake Off aside, we're now like, what do we watch when we finish a show? Because we feel like we have sort of gotten, gotten to the end. We've yeah. rewatched well, a lot. I think the thing that has been um, helpful for me, and I can, I plan on continuing doing this which is um, just taking a chance and pulling the trigger on all kinds of things I've never heard of on the Criterion Collection, mm. right? Which is now filed under HBO Max as well. You can go to HBO Max and see all... And so the other day, for instance, I was flipping through the Burt Lancaster movies. I love Burt Lancaster. Oh. He was in, you know, Sweet Smell of Success. That's a great movie. But And then I was like, oh, he's in some kind of like prison escape movie called Brute Force, Right. And it has all these people you know from other movies, but they're all younger, and it's a noir, and it's shot beautifully, and it's an amazing-looking movie. And I just was like, ah, an oasis of something that just doesn't relate to anything around me. It's like another time. I love that. And and I'm feeling like I'm connecting with the history of cinema, and I get to see Burt Lancaster, you know, in shadow, in in prison, and he's smoldering, and it's great. Um, So, you know... That's there are all our all the things that we uh, can't. There's plenty of content. I know we've scraped the bottom of the content that we're all watching together. Sure. Um, I mean, we watched we watched um the new HBO. I think it's HBO Max show with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant on Sunday. Oh yeah, tell me about it. Yeah, how was it? Um, I would say <laughs> I like seeing them both on screen, and then the last. Like three minutes, I was sold. The before that, I was dubious, skeptical. Yeah. Now I, I've like I've bought into the premise. But what is really nice about it, and this sounds crazy because I probably never would have said this a year ago, is that you can't binge it. It's episodic, so you're or or serialized. So every Sunday night, you see a new episode, and there's something that's really novel about that because we don't get TV like that anymore. Right. And I just like I think that if. If not for that, we probably would have finished it in th- in two or three days, and then we would have said, "Well, what now?" And so now we have something to look forward to every Sunday night. This sounds so lame, but it's true. There's something nice about that. I'm very excited to get back to appointment television. This is Inside the Hive. Let's just imagine for a minute. We can dream. We're allowed to dream. Biden is president. We're moving on into a new world. He doesn't create a horrific news cycle every single day mm. of the week. 
And on this podcast, in the future, we can talk about what happened on the Nicole Kidman TV show that appeared the Sunday previous mm. or the Tuesday or whatever show it is. Yes. We can talk about other things, right? We can talk about what's in Vanity Fair magazine this week, which will be a whole smorgasbord of stuff that, you know, we might not have had the time or the resources or the focus to talk about. And uh, this is going to be exciting. I'm excited. It to- is. It is. Feels like a, it does feel like a new era. We took over this podcast um, in April of 2020, which is a weird time to take on anything new. We have not seen each other in person, which is so crazy. Bizarre. I feel like I would say, if not every week, most weeks we have had uh, interviews or conversations that were either fo- focused on the pandemic, uh, the the protests that happened around Black Lives Matter, or Trump every single week. And I'm excited to to the people who stuck with us through the transition the people who are new to this podcast who came on post transition we're so grateful that you you are here and take the time to listen to us but we're also really excited to move you forward into this next next segment of time and and at this present moment it's, it could be the last if not the second to last or the third to last moment where we don't know what what will happen in this election and i think that we're sort of at the end of of us being in our our first era version 1.0 of mm-hmm. inside the hive and i'm really looking forward to what it will look like after this and and the full discussions that will be had on things that are related to politics and things that are not related to politics and we'll get to have a choice maybe and that feels right. really really wonderful absolutely and it's been really heartening to have People who have begun to be loyal listeners to this podcast, who have reached out to us, told us that it's meaningful for them to hear us talking, that they can kind of work out their own uh, view, view of the news, their own emotional reaction to the news through some of the conversations we've had, through some of the people we've interviewed. And we're going to continue to do that, but we're going to widen the scope, right? Let's widen it. Let's widen the landscape again and and kind of uh, feel like, um, you know, what can interest us is sky's the limit. And if you out there in radio land have something you want to have us address, if you have things you're interested in hearing about, you know, contact us. Like we're all on Twitter. Our mailboxes are open. Uh, Joe Hagan, Emily Jane Fox, easy to look up in the search engine. There we are. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want. Uh, you know, we want to be uh, there for our listeners. And uh, we intend to, and we're excited about the rest of this year and 2021. And whatever happens on November 3rd and in the days following, uh, we, the one, if you can rely on nothing else, we hope you can feel like you can rely on us. Oh, I do. I feel it. Um, one last question for you and then we'll hit the road. Yeah. What are you going to be doing on November 3rd? Well, I've been waiting to vote in person mm. on the day. I want to do it. I mean, people around me, a lot of people have voted already, and which I think is a great thing to do. And um, I think everybody should be doing, especially depending on what state you're in. But I'm going to go to the polls and sit in whatever line there is there. And really, I want to experience it. Mm. You know, I want to feel it. Now, I will say there's gonna be one cold. asterisk. 
What's that? It's going to be cold. I've been looking at the weather for various cities around the country. That's like part of my... Oh, that's My anxiety is I just like, I look around. Um, Los Angeles is going to be, I believe it's going to be like 89 degrees or something. Uh, (laughs) And in New York, I think it's going to be in the 40s. Right. Well, it's going to be probably cool here. We have, uh, we're into fall, but I am going to bring my coat. Uh, I do also live in a small town, so I can't imagine the um, line is going to be too long. Um, so I'm just looking forward to getting that sticker. You know, I want the sticker. And at my little polling station, they give you a candy bar, which cool. I'm excited about that. Um, I have a deadline. I have a feature due on election day. It's going to feel very that cathartic that unusual? day. I yeah. actually think it's great because this weekend yeah. you're probably going to be cramming. Totally. And what a release it'll be. I can't wait. So, um, so yeah, both of us have features coming out in December, which, you know what? Pick up Vanity Fair magazine. It's There's a, a great magazine. Hey, the cover, AOC in, AOC, in incredible photograph, incredible photo spread. The interview yeah. is really dynamic and engaging, and, and she has proven herself to be such a... Um, a voice of a real new generation. And I think it's, Absolutely. it's really just the start for her. Um, yeah. I have a really, if I can pull it off and that's a big if because pandemic and, and a number of other reasons that I will be able to talk about next week. I have a crazy election night planned, <laughs> So I can't Ooh. wait to talk all about it. I can't yet. Um, but it, it, I mean, either it will be an incredible cap to the Trump era or a real sobering look at the next four years. But either way, I'm very excited about it. It's it's insane. And I can't wait to talk more about it when I can. So there'll be a reveal next week. So you're going to want to subscribe. You get all the behind the scenes juice. And yeah. I think that I say all this with a huge caveat of maybe all of it doesn't happen, but um, there, there should be a lot of fun juice to talk through about it. You'll have a story one way or the other. God willing. Uh, listen, thank you, Emily Jane Fox, for holding my hand in this time of high anxiety. Always. Always. This was such a treat. Guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week, maybe with a new president. How exciting is that? Hang on to your hats. Thank you to our guest and my roommate, Lee Eisenberg, and my co-host, Joe Hagan. If you enjoyed this conversation, please be sure to subscribe and listen to our other great podcasts of Inside the Hive. You can find those on Apple Podcasts, Radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their wonderful production work. And of course, thanks to our sponsors. Please be sure to support them any way you support this podcast. We will see you next election week.